Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we got a lot of information to share with you, but uh, what's the point? And the point is that we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So even though we can tell you a lot of things that might help you out in your life, it's not really a value unless you also are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we look at Romans 8, it says in there, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? What what can separate us from that love of Christ? And again, when you say love of Christ, it's actually the love of the anointing or the anointed, uh, because Christ is not his name. That means the the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed. And so when he goes on to say, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Doesn't sound very attractive, but he goes on to say, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we say these phrases like love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord, I can almost see many people who have worshipped their idea about religion as if they are worshipping God himself. God is the creator. He is not an idea in your head an image you have drawn in your imagination. You know, we're not to have any graven image. And a graven image doesn't necessarily simply have to be something made by your hands, but something created by your own imagination. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people do is they create a Jesus Christ, a God in their imagination, and they worship that idea of God And that idea of Jesus Christ, but not the actual Jesus Christ, not the actual God, not the actual creator, the force that is the source of the divine intelligence that we see throughout creation. It's only when you actually serve that force of life, that creator of life, that grantor of endowed rights, that we are actually doing what Paul is talking about. Because a great many people are under a strong delusion that they are worshiping Jesus Christ when they are actually only worshiping a fabricated ideology in their own minds. 
And their vanity binds them to that ideology, that imagination, that created image of God rather than God himself. And so how do you know if you're one of those that are worshiping an image of God in your mind or actually the God? Well, by their fruits, by what they're producing. So now what's good fruit? You know, when we talk about, uh, I've talked about gardening where a neighbor came and he was gardening for the first time out here in the high deserts and his garden was, you know, he could spend all day at it. He was retired and getting a government check so he didn't have to work anywhere. So he could really put a lot of time into his garden. It wasn't a really big garden. He was the only guy there. He didn't have any family anymore for one reason or another, but we won't get into that. But the fact is he grew a beautifully looking garden. Cabbages were huge. Other vegetables and fruits that he produced were huge and everything. And he had so much he couldn't use them all. So he brought them over and uh, we laid them on the on the sh- in the shade right in front of the door there. And we had picked some cabbages from our own garden. And our cabbages were not nearly as big as his cabbages. They didn't look as nice as his cabbages. But within an hour, his cabbages were all wilted and uh, getting soft. And they they did not keep, even in the root cellar, they did not keep they began to become odorous, and they did not keep uh, three, four days, and you could already see them deteriorating. Ours kept for months in the root cellar. What was the difference? Well, he used all kinds of artificial fertilizers and stimulants, and it made them look very good and healthy, and of course he got rid of insects so that they didn't attack them or anything like that through, you know, some sort of spray. I'm not sure what he used. But the reality is is that ours were much healthier for you, much better keepers, and they actually, they produced rather well too. Although they weren't quite the size, they were they were very dense. They weren't as uh, airy and watery as his were. As they're taking up a lot of water, they look good at first, but they quickly fell apart and disintegrated and did not keep well. So anyway, is that what we're doing in our society? We've created a a magnificent society, at least in America and actually all over the world. Uh, Poverty was being eliminated at one of the most rapid rates in the history of mankind. Some of the poorest people in the world, uh, generally speaking, were better off than the average person anywhere in history. They had access to more different kinds of foods and and housing and uh, could do uh, great things all over the world because of the influence of what went on in America. And so people talk about making America great again and then other people, that's just a trigger and they get all angry when you say that. But what what did make America great? What did it make it so powerful, so successful? Well, it isn't it isn't the fertilizer. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It, it isn't all the uh, 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 lovely words 
you know, and the uh, patriotism that we espouse so much. Through great swelling words, they promise us liberty. But they actually have delivered us into bondage. There was something else that started the ball rolling in America that was somewhat unique, at least in the amount of it that we saw. But we're not going to cover that right now. We're going to hope that you discover that as we go through what we are going to talk about. But if if we... Uh, if we look at Ephesians 3.9, it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. It's not just the fellowship with each other. It's the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, that would be the called out, the manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God? What is this fellowship of the mystery? According, in verse 11, it goes on to say, according to the eternal purpose which he proposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. The eternal purpose is seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament because it's an eternal purpose. What is an eternal purpose? Well, we could spend a whole day talking about that. But in Ephesians 6.10, we see, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Those cabbages that looked so beautiful had no defense against the bacteria that began to disintegrate it right away. You could probably eat those uh, except for maybe the bug spray that he used, but... Uh, uh, and they might be healthy, but you probably need to do to start to ferment them right away <laughs> because they were going to ferment right away. Now we fermented cabbage too. We took some of ours, and it it was it, it fermented well. It took a little bit longer. His was disintegrating with every bacteria that was around, uh, and uh, because it wasn't, it looked healthy, but it wasn't really healthy. It looked prosperous, but it wasn't really prosperous. It's like bread with leaven. Looks like a lot of bread, but it's really a lot of air. You know, it's like Wonder Bread. You could take a whole loaf of Wonder Bread and squeeze it down into a little tiny ball because mostly it's air. And then you wonder, where's the bread? (laughs) So anyway... I'm pointing some of these things out as somewhat of a metaphor and analogy. We have stories that have come down to us through the ages. Of course, the Bible has many allegories in it. It says it has allegories in it and metaphors in it. And it part of the reason that you represent these stories, these parables in history, or these parables, just stories, whether they're made up or they have some basis in, in fact, is to relate ideas that are difficult to just explain intellectually because the reality is is first spirit and then it is made substance, it is made flesh. 
but the pattern begins in the spirit. And so to talk about the pattern, we create these stories and parables and metaphors to elude to it. But what shows you, you know, I was talking to somebody on the phone somewhere in America and I was pointing out that I can't teach you the truth because the truth is spirit. I can't give you that spirit. I can talk about it and you may recognize what I'm talking about, but I can't. I can't give you the truth. You can't put it in a bottle. It's not a genie that you can put into a bottle. It is a mystery. But it only comes to you through revelation when God, the creator himself, is directly writing upon your hearts and upon your minds. And that is one of the great mysteries of the universe is how God does that. But what we may talk about a little bit today is how we keep God from doing that. Jesus died that we might be saved, which tells us that we're not saved automatically and certainly not by creating an image of Christ in our minds and believing in that image. So like I say in Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the adversaries of life, those who would take life away. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers, against the dark, uh, the rulers of darkness of the world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. So the darkness of the world. What is the darkness of the world? If we were to look up that phrase in the Bible, what would we find as the meaning of that word world? Because we know there's lots of different words in the Bible that are translated world. The darkness of the world right then is not comizo. Or cosmos. Or we'll look at another word also. But uh, it is the word that means aeon. The darkness of the age. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. So there was an age at the time of Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and Paul. When Paul was writing this to the Ephesians. And uh, there's an age now. So what is there a darkness of the world now? That we should be concerned with. Is there something going on in our time that is similar to that time? Which is why we study history. So that we would know how to prepare for the darkness of that time. Or the darkness of our time. Because of how they prepared in the darkness of that time. And that what they did was put on the full armor of God. Which we see in verse 13 again. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, which shouldn't be a problem because we're told to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you've been seeking Christianity for a long time, you've been seeking the righteousness of God, which is the only righteousness there is. 
But the righteousness of God would not include coveting your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of men who call themselves benefactors but are not truly benefactors. They simply take away from others. That's become an acceptable idea in the modern church. Just saw a picture uh, yesterday, I think it was, of Joe Olstein, supposedly is a Christian minister out there with Black Lives Matter. And then I saw Black Lives Matter saying all white people should give up their houses to black people. Which would be a lot of houses because only about 12% of America are black. But I guess we could, you know, the leftovers we could give to Hispanic people. Of course, now, most black people and most Hispanic people aren't thinking that way. They're hardworking, fairly decent people. But they may not have all heard the gospel of the kingdom, which I know a lot of white people haven't heard either. And that's what we're going to be talking about, is what is the kingdom that we're supposed to be seeking? It's not a place where you go when you die. Jesus said it's for the living So he goes on, besides this uh, full armor of God and this breastplate of righteousness and this girt of truth, our feet should be shod, according to verse 15, with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the gospel of peace has a preparation you know, where somehow you're preparing. Of course, we have a website, preparingyou.com, and that is part of that preparation. There you can go and join a network based on the geographical location of you in the world today, and then you can form the living network by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands by the way in which Christ commanded but that is, and to do so so that you can take care of one another in a, an administration of charity, which is an administration of peace, an administration of love, rather than an administration of force and fear and violence. If you did that, that would be part of that shotting your feet because that's how you would do things. That's how you would walk in the world that you would take care of one another through peace, through love, through charity, rather than force and fear and fealty, which is the way most modern Christians take care of the needy of their society. They don't take care of the needy of society through charity or the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. They think that religion is just worshiping that image of God that they have created in their mind. That religion is defined as what you think about God. What you think about Jesus Christ. But that's not the definition of religion like we said 200 years ago. It was the performance of a duty to God. It was the way in which you walked on this earth, in this world, and you took care of one another through love and through charity. If you're not doing that, you do not have the full armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, nor are you girt in truth, nor are your feet feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, because the gospel was the gospel not only of peace, but the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't the gospel of the congregation. 
the little local congregation with a minister that makes you feel good about yourself and about your image of Christ. But it was the gospel of the kingdom. Paul was traveling around to places like Ephesus to talk to Ephesians and places places like Corinth and Galatia. He didn't just talk. He was bringing supplies. He was bringing assistance and bringing contributions from those local areas to other areas to be redistributed where there was need. Because all over the world, needs were developing in this area and then in that area. And then these people got on their feet. But over here, these people were having needs and people were trying to get started. Somebody said on one of these church groups that the church owned no property, had no money. The church was the called out. They did have property. They did have money. Otherwise, they could not have sued Roman emperors during the persecutions to return property they had confiscated from bishops who held property. Bishops who are just overseers. They're not rulers. They're not like the modern bishops. They were servants of servants of servants because that's what Christ set up. They were not rulers of rulers of rulers. They were not rulers over the people. They did not tell the people what to do and what not to do. And we'll look at a word that's in a few minutes that will show you what Paul was talking about. These were servants. They were, they were as the younger, but they were helping guide the people in how to prepare themselves to take care of one another and create that daily ministration that took care of all the social welfare of Christians. Because those early Christians would not eat at the table of those men who called themselves benefactors who exercised authority one over the other. So this was a process of preparation to put on this armor. He goes on to say, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the shield of faith is not a strong delusion. Faith is a gift of God that gives you the power to face adversities and compels you to action because you love God. Not an image of God, but the actual God of life. You do One of the things that will tell you that you do not love the God of life is that you are busy hating and being angry at others. Another sign is that you're being afraid and fearful. Oh, we can't, we can't do that. We can't give up the mark of the beast because then who would take care of us if we don't depend upon the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? So finally he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the Word of God is not just the Bible, because it wasn't even written yet. The Word of God is the Spirit of God speaking through you. But we'll continue this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. So welcome back. So let's look at Titus chapter 2. Uh, verse 11. And we're, we're do, going through this to prepare you for some of the information I've been accumulating for weeks and months and years 
that we're going to share with you in the, the next parts of the program and probably this afternoon. And if you get on the network, we will even share more. But uh, I'm trying to put, I'm taking biblical quotes you probably heard from other people and maybe even read yourself in the Bible and trying to put them into the context of what the church, the early church, was actually doing. Again, the early church was the entire social welfare of all Christians everywhere. They did not eat of the table of Rome. The free benefits of Rome served through their temples, which were just government buildings. Those were government buildings that uh, they minted coin in the temple of Manetta. They they passed out uh, free bread from other temples. They uh, passed out uh, other care and things. They actually were investment programs for your retirement. Uh, they were social security systems set up through the Corbin of Rome where you signed up. You had to pay in during your working years and then if you fell on hard times they would provide benefits. Now as Rome began to decay those benefits decreased and decreased and, and sometimes food became scarce and uh, because there were dearths or depressions uh, either economically or because of wars and rumors of wars and all these things were going on for Hundreds of years during the early church. And the early church Christians would not go to Rome because those were the benefactors of the earth. You had to sign up. Those were the fathers of the earth. Same thing. And you had to sign up with them and commit a portion of your labor that they could collect by force to provide those benefits. And they could change the amount. See, in Egypt... It was only supposed to be 20%. But we were never to go back to Egypt again. But we have gone back to that same type of system again. And we've become so accustomed to it. Now we think there's nothing wrong with it. But it certainly isn't righteous because it is based on a covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And since most nations, all nations really, borrow money against the future to provide these benefits we're actually cursing our children with debt. They have become a surety for debt for what we want today. So again, in Titus 2.11, if we look at that, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Salvation was not for the dead. People did die. And there is a spiritual realm in which you pass into when you die. Exactly how that all works. That's a bigger mystery than the, the mystery of the fellowship. <laughs> because we we don't really know what that looks like. We can draw kinds of pictures and imagine all kinds of things, hopefully. But the salvation of Christ was for the living. To save people from the bonds of iniquity. What are the bonds of iniquity? Being jealous of your brother, selling them into slavery, coveting your neighbor's goods. That will make you merchandise, according to Peter. That is something we need saved from, too. And you only get saved from that if you repent. You change your thinking from what you become accustomed to and realize that you can't go through life coveting your neighbor's goods through the exercising power of the world. And, and its governments. So for the grace of God that bringeth salvation 
hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in his present, in this present world. Now wait a minute, we have two words in that one verse that both, one says worldly lust, and the other one says present world. Are they related? Are those two worlds, I mean they sound like they're related, one is worldly and one is world. But when you actually look at the Greek, you can quickly see that the, this present world is again a reference by Paul to this age, this time period. They had a time period then, we have a time period now. Same principles may apply because history repeats itself and man and God are the same today as they were yesterday. So therefore, what he is saying may have a relevance to us today in this time. And of course it does. But the other word, worldly lust, has nothing to do with aeon or age. It's a different word entirely. And then again, it's associated in this statement, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So what is ungodliness? You know, that particular word only appears uh, six times in the Bible. And it's want of reverence towards God's impiety and ungodliness. It's a lack of piety. Remember, religion is, used to be defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And that word, and if you go look at our article on religion, that word pious has to do with fatherly love. So what he's talking about this denying the ungodliness He's talking about those who deny the Father in heaven because they are worshiping the fathers of the earth. You should have no father but my Father in heaven, not the fathers of the earth. And again, who's the fathers of the earth? Well, Caesar was the father of the earth. He was a father of the earth. Other countries had their own fathers. Patronus. All these centralized governments of power where the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other operate from is based on the law of the father. Who's your father? There's only so much fatherly authority that is given to a father by nature. But if he gives up that authority by giving up some of his responsibility of taking care of his children to somebody else, that person becomes the father of that child. He has more authority. We see this every day in public school. Public school teachers are complaining and actually conspiring. And, you know, I could show you a half a dozen different stories, but we don't want to get off on that tangent, where they don't want parents to know what they're teaching. I said we should, if we were real Christians, we could be mostly all homeschooling. But today, because of Internet and all this stuff, we could get the best teachers in the world to help lecture our children. We still have to be the parent there, helping our children learn. Uh, but you could have online schools. And they could actually go to a camp uh, for periods of time where they get to meet other kids. Of course, now if you were actually in that network of tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, 
there would be other Christians with these same values near you and your kids could get together with them. They wouldn't be isolated. And fortunately, when my kids were all growing up and being home-taught, we had several home-taught families in our little community. We're pretty isolated anyway, but we actually had three right here uh, above the lake that were all home-teaching their kids. I I was the one that had the most kids, <laughs> but we were all teaching our kids at home. That's getting more and more difficult. And there's more and more reasons to gather together. And if you were already doing what Christ said, you would already be gathering together. But you could actually, just like they have the festivals, we're going to have the Burning Bush Festival uh, here in the first weekend of September. People will come from all around and they will get to know each other. We, we have some big families coming and uh, evidently some smaller, younger families coming. Their kids will get to know our kids. It's very important for a healthy society. And we can talk about that and have talked about that in some of the five, six hundred audios that we have available for free on our website. But when this particular verse is talking about denying the ungodliness, he's talking about really anybody who is setting up men to be the, have and exercise some of the fatherly authority and responsibilities, duties, that really belong to each family. You're diminishing the authority of the fathers. You're cutting the heads off of the fathers when you go through that process. And we've shown that that's what American society has done for the last hundred years. Diminish the power of the father in the family. The position of the father and the mother in the family. So that now... Uh, teachers want to teach your kids and are afraid because of this COVID homeschooling that is taking place. They're afraid that the parents are going to find out what they're actually teaching their children. Of course, we found out years ago, and that's one of the reasons we home taught our children. But the next phrase is worldly lust. So what word is that worldly lust? That's actually because... Mikos, which is like cosmos, which means constitutional order and uh, system of government. That's what cosmos, that's how cosmos is defined. I mean, right, even in an online Bible, it says an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, and government. That's, that's basically, and if you read our article on that, you'll see that that for hundreds of years before Christ and hundreds of years after Christ and Paul, that word referenced government. That's what it was. So now they're talking about worldly lusts. And it's a slightly different word. You know, being Greek, it, they have this, uh, it's an adjective. Cosmikos, which is belonging to the world or belonging to the cosmos or belonging to the constitutional order and system of government. Denying the ungodliness of their benefits, because they come from men who exercise authority, not belonging to their system, but having a system of our own, a daily ministration of our own. That's what Paul's talking about. He's teaching that. We should live soberly, he says. Are we living soberly now? Soberly means with sound minds. 
repentant minds, minds that have already understood that it is not right to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. If you do that, you will go under tyranny and you will be changed by that. But not only soberly, but righteously. And of course, what is right, not (laughs) self-righteously, but according to God. What is right about forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? What is right about forcing your neighbor to finance the education of your children, which is really the brainwashing of your children, which we've seen take place in America because 75% of the kids coming out of high school think that socialism is a good form of government. They have no understanding of the fact that it destroys nations, destroys the character of nations and the uh, character of the community and breaks down the community. And it has always. I mean, the... They just don't understand that because, and we you can go read our article on schools as tools and see how they changed the curriculum over the last 50 to 100 years. Actually, it at least started as early as 1908, but evil is always around exercising its influence. So we should be taking care of one another righteously through faith, hope, and charity and not force fear and, and fealty. But he goes on to say, and godly... He says we're supposed to do this godly in the presence, in this present world. So what does he mean, godly? <laughs> That's another one of those words. It's not the, it doesn't consist of the normal word for God. It only appears twice in, uh, in the Bible. And Paul was notorious for kind of making up words. He would take other words and kind of put them together or make up a word. And this is kind of made up of, of two words, and it's it's used as an adverb here, but again, it means piously, according to God's nature, devoutly, consistent, dutifully. It comes from a word that actually means duty or dutiful. So we have a duty to one another, and that's what pure religion is: is taking care of one another, unspotted by that world, unspotted by that system of force. And so, when you put all that in context, that put, gives you a whole new meaning to some of these ideas that we're reading in the biblical text. And we're going to show you how not understanding that can lead you into dangerous places without the armor of God. So, in verse 13, he goes on to say, looking for that blessed hope. Because, see, if you're living by faith, hope, and charity, that's different than living by force, fear, and entitlements. Uh, because of your fealty to men who exercise authority, you have to obey them because you're under their authority. And you cannot just, you know, Israel fell under the authority of the Pharaoh. And they couldn't just get out of the authority of the Pharaoh until God arranged that the Pharaoh lost title to the people, and the one who had title to the people was Moses. And Moses, like Abraham, said, you keep the stuff, I just want the people. Let my people go. They they belong to Moses. He was the rightful heir to the throne of Egypt. We've explained all that. So, we're supposed to be looking for this blessed hope by living by hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Might redeem us from all the iniquity 
and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. It is not good works to covet your neighbor's goods to the exercising authority of men who call themselves benefactors, which modern Christians do on a regular basis. Now, that may be frightening. You say, you mean I have to give up these? I don't know if I can give. I need these benefits. I'm just telling you to start changing your thinking. Start going the other way. I understand it's a process. You think those benefits aren't going to go away? You do. You, do you, where is your faith? Will you turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Which means taking on those duties of caring about one another. It will change you back to what God originally... It will make you great again because it will put God in your hearts again. And not just an image of God, which most people are settling for now. And have paid preachers large sums of money, made them wealthy in some places. So If those preachers make them feel good about their iniquity. But Christ came that might redeem us from all iniquity, all covetous practices. So in verse 13 we see these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now that word there, let no man despise thee. (laughs) So that word despise, that only appears one time in the whole Bible. That Paul is the guy who uses it. it, and and so what does that mean? Despise you, it, you know. That's it, it's really kind of uh, a very simple word, and we should understand it and what it actually means. But it's it's a little bit of a peculiar word. Uh, you there's actually two times that the word despise shows up in the Bible. But this particular one, in Titus, uh, well, there's actually more places where it shows up, but the, the, it's from different words. You know, if you look in 1 Timothy 4.12, that word is kataphronio, uh, uh, and phronio has to do with thinking. But kata is a different, and it means to condemn or despise or disdain somebody. But that's not the same Word that we see in Titus 2.15. It's a different word in Titus 2.15. It still has that word, that part of the word that means thinking, thoughts, the way you think. But it says, uh, to consider or examine, the first part, peri, has to do with consider or examine on all sides. I can't tell you what to think. I'm just talking about I I don't have a right to tell you what to think. I don't have a right to censor you. Or to say that you can't say this on Facebook. Like, that's what Facebook does. It despises you if you say something they don't like. And they will censor you. There's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. So, it says these things speak and exhort and rebuke. Not just with everybody, as well as yourself. With all authority, let no man despise you. You know, regulate what you think. Somebody was asking just this morning, like, why does Facebook keep taking this down? (laughs) Because they despise you. (laughs) They despise the truth. 
But anyway, if we go on and the next chapter begins, and of course these chapter markings were not put in there by Paul. This is put in by the translators. But they say this is a new paragraph where it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So we're not rebelling against the authorities of the world. The church, the called out, should be in the world but not of the world. Many people are now in bondage in the world and they owe Caesar all kinds and they need to pay Caesar if they owe Caesar. But Christ set up a particular way in which to come together to deal with evil times. With the age that Paul was in and it also goes for the age that we are in. And we're going to look at a lot of things that are changing in the world today that are actually matching but are actually far worse than at the time of the persecution of the early church. The problem is a lot of the people that think they're in the church They're actually in and of the world. They have false ideas about what Christ was really doing when he appointed the kingdom to the apostles. And that's going to take a little bit of explaining, but ultimately it takes a humble heart. So we're supposed to be reminded that if we owe Caesar, pay Caesar, but we should be ready for every good work. And it is a good work to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And it is an iniquitous work to take care of one another through force, fear, and fealty. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving diverse lusts, again those worldly lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Wow, were we doing all that? (laughs) Nobody wants to think of themselves as that. But then we could look into that word hating one another. But it says, but after the kindness of and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. Because God does not owe us salvation. He does not owe us grace. He does not owe us wisdom. It is a gift. But we can block that gift if we refuse to repent and see the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. For his mercy he saved us by washing of generations and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not in our imagination, but in truth. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We should come in the name of Christ. We should come with the same self-sacrificing heart of Christ. Laying down our lives daily for one another. We certainly should obey Christ and sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create a daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare of the people, for the people, and by the people through charity, by the way of hope, and by the way of love, not through force. You know, somebody else said, hate draws you into the dark side. (laughs) Of course, that's Yoda. Uh, Yoda said uh, to Luke on uh, Dagobah, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side of the force are they. 
Easily they flow quickly to join you in a fight. If once you start down that dark path forever, will it dominate your destiny? Well, Americans have started down that dark path. And it says, consume you it will, as it did Obi-Wan's apprentice. Consume you it will. Jesus, Paul, they all talk about this same thing. That, you know, be careful you do not bite one another. You know, take from one another. Force the contributions of one another. Lest ye be devoured. Consume you, it will. You know, some of the things in in these movies and these stories, that's what they are, basically stories, they, they ring true in people. They don't even understand necessarily why they ring true. But they are, they are stories that sometimes have this metaphor, uh, allegory reference to this battle of, between good and evil. And that battle between good and evil actually begins inside of each of us. So even though I'm going to talk about big things that affect the whole planet and the whole country and, and, you know, seven, seven billion people, the, the individual walk and journey is an individual walk and journey. But, like I always say, we need to learn to walk alone together. Where no man despises you for what you think. That we don't separate ourselves because he doesn't think just like me. That he, he I can't let him in my bubble because he thinks a little different than me. Christ... Christ was trying to get people to come into his bubble, but he was preaching to a lot of people that weren't thinking like him. (laughs) But some eventually repented. And you had the early church. Unfortunately, the modern church is in need of repentance again. You know, and there's a scene, I remember where Luke talks about this dark place. He says he feels cold and death. And and uh, and Yoda tells them that place is strong with the dark side of the force. It's probably somewhere near Washington D.C. He says a domain of evil it is, <laughs> and you must go. And he says, "What is there?" And Yoda says, "Only what you take with you." So we're going to learn to set things down so you don't take as much with you when you have to go face those evil domains when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we we finished up the first hour with a few quotes from Yoda. And, uh, of course, he even told Anakin this later in another episode. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Uh, and he says, I sense much fear in you. Because he feared losing his mother. That was supposedly it. But even that, which seems like desolate, you fear losing your mother, is that a selfish fear or is that you fear for your mother that she might die? You fear, you know, what is that all about? But fear is, is a part of anger. It is like I, I said to somebody that anger and fear are the same, uh, different sides of the same coin. And when you spend it, when you live it, that anger or fear fight or flight, uh, you are giving yourself over to that which controls those things where your fear and anger come from. Fear and anger also involve judgment. 
you know, you judge somebody as having power, you judge somebody as having authority, you judge somebody as not having authority or not having power, in which case you may attack them, but you're still operating in that same bubble of fear and anger, judgment and unforgiveness. This is why Christ says that forgiveness is so important. Because it frees you from fear. It frees you from anger. When you leave judgment to God, it allows God to run out before you. And it is part of the armor of God. So I'm going to talk about things that are frightening, but I don't want you to be afraid because fear not is part of our message. And I don't want you to have those angers and judgments. Because you will take them with you when you face evil. And evil knows how this works. I mean, the real evil. There's a lot of people that are just pawns in this whole thing. And they're pointing their finger and yelling at you because you're not wearing a mask or some silly thing like that. And they're full of anger. But if you really are full of the Holy Spirit, they have no power. They will be afraid of you. Because that which gives them power and strength is afraid of you. Because we war not against flesh and blood, but spiritual darkness in high places. In that age and in this age. So anyway, Darth Vader in uh, Lord of the Sith, I mean, he said Yoda had once told him that fear led to hate. And hate led to suffering. But Yoda had been wrong. Fear was a tool used by strong to cow the weak. Hate was the font of true strength. Suffering was not the result of the rule of the strong over the weak. Order was. So they're saying that order comes out of this fear that we instill in other people. That's what evil wants to do is instill fear in you. They want to make you afraid because they can cow the weak, the weak-minded, the weak of heart, the weak in courage. All those things like courage and character, these are gifts of God. You can't conjure them up in your own imagination like you can conjure up an imaginary Christ or an imaginary God. Imaginary courage doesn't stand against real danger. By his very existence, he goes on to say, the force mandated the rule of the strong over the weak. The force mandated order. From a certain point of view, that is true. But that is not the righteousness of God. That's the self-righteousness of the world. And we need to walk away from that. So I can sum that all up and fear not. Judge not. Instead, forgive and love your enemy. Because that's how you cast out demons is with love. Not with anger. Not with shouting and screaming. So anyway, uh, somebody sent an article to me yesterday. COVID-19 vaccine trials uh, puts rural Oregon clinics onto the world stage. And uh, that's uh, over in Medford. The, one of the clinics is going to start their COVID experiments with a particular type of vaccine that came from uh, Moderna. And we're going to look at what type of ma- uh, vaccine that is. And why they chose that type of vaccine. So you understand that. 
And we're looking at these things almost as a surrealistic allegory. It's real. It's going on in the world. But we're wrestling not against flesh and blood and vaccines, (laughs) but spiritual darkness in high places. And then Dr. Edward Kerwin, who is, is the head of the staff there, says that this is a race to, or at least the author of the piece, which I, I'm not even going to link to it anywhere because it's the Oregonian and uh, it, uh, that's a terrible uh, rag of a paper that is, is, is sending out all kinds of misinformation. But they say in the article that this is a race to save the world. I thought Christ did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a race and to save the world in the imagination of some people but not from COVID you know the some of the biggest people behind creating this vaccine have been some of the biggest people advocating reduction of the population of the world down to like 50 million instead of 7 billion they want to get rid of most of you <laughs> so they think that would save the world to get rid of all these excess people and just keep those that serve their agenda. The reality is, is evil wants all human life gone from this planet and all human life would perish eventually from this planet except by the grace of God. We have no other defensive mechanism other than the grace of God. But that doesn't mean that we don't do things that we aren't anxious for every good work. But what is a good work? There's evidently about 90 U.S. clinics uh, that are putting on these trials uh, for the just the Moderna biotech startups. And they're looking at, at least in Oregon, they're looking at uh, vaccinating 40 people a day to the tune of as many as 700 people. Now, some will get a placebo and some will actually get the vaccine. And again, we'll tell you a little bit more about what vaccine they're getting because this, this kind of vaccine has never ever been used on humans before. Never ever been approved for humans before. And these people are lining up and nobody's telling them about the risks that may occur with the use of this vaccine. But they're already telling us, because I have Gates's personal notes here. <laughs> I'm going to go through some of them. I mean, the, I had to read through a lot of garbage to get to some of the highlighted points. There's going to be eventually about 30,000 test subjects, which means about 15,000 people are going to get this new vaccine, which is supposedly has infected 5.2 million Americans. With 166,000 people dead. That's what it says in the article. It sounds terrible, you know. That 166, that's twice as much as the flu a couple of years ago. So that's a lot of people. Except for the fact that it's a lie. <laughs> 166,000 people have not died of COVID. That is just simply manufactured number by the press. And if it was real press and newspaper trying to give you the news, they'd point out the fact that never before in the history of medicine have they accumulated statistics like they're accumulating the COVID statistics. Even the United Kingdom has reduced the number of deaths that they claimed a few months ago. They've reduced them down by thousands and thousands of people, they're saying, did not die of COVID. They died of other causes. And actually, if you go, actually, less people have died in America, in the first months of 2020, 
than in the first months of most other years before. Less people have died. Not more. Even with this horrible pandemic that is threatening the whole world, which is not really. Less people have died. Why? Well, there was, for a while there, there was a lot less driving around on the roads and a lot of people die on the roads. Uh, a lot of people not going to work. A lot of people die at work. A lot of people were saved that way. Now, suicide rates are up phenomenally. Drug overdoses are up and other things like that. And now violent crimes with all the rioting. But still, death rate is pretty close to the same as it's always. So where's the big threat to people dying? It doesn't exist. The fact is, is heart failure deaths are down. Pneumonia deaths are down. A kidney failure deaths are down. Why? Because they, they throw it all over into the COVID deaths. If we had done that before with flus, flus would have had, in some years, probably deaths far in excess. And then most of the deaths in America happened in like four democratically controlled states. So I don't believe the numbers. They're a lie. This threat doesn't exist. But with the help of the media, people are afraid. They're absolutely afraid. And they think that the only thing that will save us is a vaccine. So they're in a rush to save the world with a vaccine never, ever, ever been tried before. They've already skipped animal testing. Some of the first vaccines they tested, 20% of the people, the healthiest people, this was only like 9 or 10 people, maybe it's 12 people took it. 20% of them had to be hospitalized. They got so ill. So now they've evidently reduced. It's hard to tell. They don't give you all the facts easily. They may be reducing the doses because they're talking about multiple doses. And we'll talk about, you know, other places where they suddenly required multiple doses and what, what's really going on. In, uh, in the article it says, uh, ethically in traditional phase three trials, you can't deliberately infect people with COVID-19, a disease with no treatment or cure. That's a lie. There's all kinds of treatment and there's certainly all kinds of cures because most of the people, 98% of the people get better. So they're cured. What cured them? And uh, in fact, it may be that 99.8 people (laughs) are cured. One of the interesting things that I was uh, examining is that you don't even have to show antibodies to be immune. Antibodies mean that there was an antibody response to an infection, something that got into you and caused your body to produce antibodies to get rid of that thing that got into you that shouldn't be in there. But the key thing to immunity is not the antibody response, but the fact that your cells have a memory. They have learned not to let in these viruses and replicate them. Now they may be in your body, but they're not. They they have no power until they actually are replicated. It's kind of like an idea. You can hear an idea, but it doesn't possess you. It doesn't get a hold of you. It doesn't control you. It doesn't. And one of the ways it does that is they give you an idea and you become afraid, and now that idea controls you. And you replicate that idea by passing that fear on to others. We call it hysteria. 
which is what we've seen, at least to some degree, in America. This group hysteria about a disease that really doesn't kill very many people and really actually doesn't kill hardly anybody. I saw an article that somebody posted on um, uh, Weinstein uh, Portal, and uh, I kind of followed them and look at some of the stuff they do, and somebody posted something about the fact that, uh, you know, that we don't need a vaccine. Sweden didn't need a vaccine. I mean, we had the Spanish flu. We didn't need to get a vaccine for that, and it's gone. And what saved the world from the Spanish flu? And we'll look at some, what saved the world from Spanish flu. Because <laughs> they actually tell you. All the truth is out there all the time. Evil has to tell the truth. But they do it in a way that, you know, it's like a magician. He's performing his acts right in front of you. But you don't see what he does because he distracts you. And one of the best ways to distract you is fear and uh, conflict. And, of course, he's he's very good at that. So, anyway... uh, they do talk in the article about the COVID-19 not being a hot spot in Oregon. The reality is that it went through Oregon a long time ago, but nobody called it COVID-19. It supposedly had 500 confirmed cases. I'm sure there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of cases that have already occurred. And again, even the antibody test won't tell you who got it because you don't need the antibodies once you've cleared out the basis of the infection, and your T1 cells and T11 cells know not to replicate the virus. That's the problem. You have the mechanism in you already, and Gates will tell you, you have the mechanism in already to get rid of the coronavirus. It's built into your body by the creator, the giver of life. He wants to go around that, get around that natural process, and change it. Because he wants to become your savior. And the reality is that you already have a savior. You just haven't been listening to that savior. Anyway, if once your body develops that memory and the understanding of what is bad and what is good, what is bad cannot get in you and make you sick. But it's a process to get to that point. And it's a process of faith. But people don't have faith. So on Gates Notes, this actually there's a page called Gates Notes. <laughs> and uh, he actually says, and these are the words that are supposedly Gates. That's why I'm particularly excited by the two new approaches that some of the candidates, talking about vaccines, are taking. RNA and DNA vaccines. If one of these new approaches pans out, will likely be able to get vaccines out to the whole world much faster. For the sake of simplicity, he says, I'm only going to explain RNA vaccines. DNA vaccines are similar, just with a different type of genetic material and a method of administration. And so he's not going to tell us about DNA, but I will. <laughs> but I'll tell you about it later. But he goes on to say, here's how an RNA vaccine works. And he's not going to lie to you. He's going to actually tell you the truth. But he may omit a few things, because that's the way evil does. Evil will tell you the truth, but not the whole truth. This is why it's important that you seek the whole truth about the gospel of the kingdom, and not just the bits and pieces that your local... Back padding, 
ear-tickling pastors are telling you. They're not telling you the whole truth about the kingdom. They're, they've watered down the gospel of Christ. And that is a lie. But anyway, he goes on to say, rather than injecting a pathogens, antigens, into your body, you instead give the body the genetic code needed to produce that antigen itself. What? They're going to put the genetic code that is needed to produce the antigen, the RNA inside of what we call a virus, which is just an exosome. They're going to introduce it into your body because that's what the virus needs to reproduce the antigen, that antigen itself. When the antigen appears on the outside of your cells, your immune system attacks them. That's one part of your immune system. That's only one part. And learns how to defeat future intruders in that process. Intruders that have that same RNA code in them. You essentially turn your body into its own vaccine manufacturing unit. That's what he says. We're going to turn your body into a vaccine manufacturing unit. You're going to produce the vaccine. You're going to actually produce the (laughs) antigen that is attacking your body. You're going to produce it so that your body attacks the antigen. Cool, huh? Does that sound like that's going to work? Well, in a way, it will work. But it may not work according to the plan of God. It may be different. Because, see, the reality is, whenever you breathe in a virus, and you breathe in a couple of viruses, I mean, you breathe in millions of viruses every day. And all kinds of viruses. Because anything that is not an exosome that you have produced that might create a toxic effect is that we call a virus. Because that's virus has to do with poison. That, that this will poison you. But, I mean, you could drink a whole cup full of coronaviruses. And if your body already knows that you don't want to replicate that virus, it won't do anything to you. You know, I I don't know what it would taste like. (laughs) It's not going to do anything to you. Because it's only when your body replicates. It's like somebody telling you a lie. And you know it's a lie. And you don't get angry. And you don't get afraid. And you don't react to it. But you stay peacefully in the Holy Spirit. The lie has no effect. You know, it's like Glinda, the good good witch of the the north. She says, you have no power here. (laughs) And that, that virus would have no power in you. Because you already know that lie would have no power. It would not affect you. If you remained at peace in the Holy Spirit, and you remain at peace in the Holy Spirit because you focus on the righteousness of God. That's what you're seeking. That's what you got your eye on. You put your hand to the plow and you're seeking the righteousness of God. If your pastor comes along and says, yeah, that's what you have to do. Put your hand to the plow and seek the righteousness of God. But it is now righteous to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Your plow's going off course. You don't have your eye on the righteousness of God anymore. You have the eye, your eye on the righteousness of this false pastor of Christ. 
who says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority. It is not. It will make you merchandise and it will curse your children. It is not going towards the kingdom. It is going away from the kingdom. But your pastors are telling you that's okay. I could I could go down a big long list of them. You know who they are. If they're telling you it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of governments who exercise authority, they are not preaching Christ. And they have need of repentance. And I hope they do. And you can tell them from me. <laughs> so anyway, but Gates goes on, he has a whole section where he says, we need to manufacture and distribute at least 7 billion doses of the vaccine. That's for everybody. Now there's some problems with that. You can manufacture RNA vaccines much quicker, and that's what this is, is an RNA vaccine that the, this particular company is producing. And he says, in order to stop the pandemic, we need to make the vaccine available to almost every person on the planet. What about the people that are already immune? They've already had it. And already their body has already produced the antigens. They don't need it. They don't, but they're going to need, they won't get a certificate of immunity without it. So, that's crazy. That's crazy that you're going to actually alter the mechanisms of your body and the production of your natural immune system, which there are many layers to. You're going to take one of those layers and stimulate it to actually create the antigen in your body. And what happens if you shed that antigen to somebody else in the house? (laughs) One of the other 7 billion people in the planet. What's going to happen then? Oh, I don't know. We don't know. He says, we, we've we never delivered something to every corner of the world before. And as I mentioned earlier, vaccines are particularly difficult to make and store. But this vaccine is not so difficult to make. But storage is a problem. You have to store this. You know, a normal vaccine is stored at like minus 4 degrees uh, centigrade which is like minus 24 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. I think that I did that math right. But anyway, uh, but this, ha- this RNA vaccine has to be stored at minus 80, which is a negative 112 degrees below zero. That could present a problem. What happens if it warms up a little bit and then they cool it down again and they still administer it? Will you get the same results? Will something change? It goes on, participants who receive the vaccine may experience some side effects such as redness. Now, this isn't Bill Gates. This is actually the Kerwin at this uh, testing site. Redness and injection site, muscles, soreness, fatigue, headaches. Well, that's what he lists off. It also could include death. (laughs) We won't go there. But he says this is, but people have to realize that we're stopping this deadly virus. Nature stops these deadly viruses all the time. And this virus evidently is not nearly as deadly as the media has been trying to tell you. Because they're, they roll back the numbers from millions and millions. We know way more people have got it than the positive tests show. Therefore, the actual death rate is much lower. We know that they've been including all kinds of deaths that were not caused by that. I was talking to you, and I didn't ever finish that, but 
this this one site where they were saying consider Sweden and he posted an article about a particular hospital in Sweden that said that they weren't going to put patients over the age of 80 into ICU and he says see they're just they're just going to put them on palliative care and kill them i went and looked up the actual policy at that hospital in Sweden i have a daughter-in-law in Sweden right now that's not what the order says, but that's what the media is reporting because they're liars. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So just as we left off, I was talking about this hospital that supposedly uh, chose not to treat the elderly, according to what this news report was saying. But that actually is not what was in the me- memo. If you actually go and actually read the memo, it was uh, the Karolinska University Hospital. Uh, in Stockholm, I, if I, my memory is correct. But anyway, they, they had a problem. They saw at the beginning that they had a shortage of beds in ICU. And, uh, they, they only have about 5.8 per 100,000 people in Sweden. Uh, the average European number for beds is 11.5. And that's actually could be considered very low for 100,000 people. And, um, uh, and that's what the problem was in Italy. Italy's overwhelmed every year with just regular flu because they have socialist medicine and they don't have as much facilities as they need during the flu season. Every year, that's the case that goes on. So the the reality is that uh, uh, that's actually what was the problem in New York because like, during the Obama administration, uh, at least 12 New York hospitals closed down, partly because of Medicare and Medicaid changes and alterations because of Obamacare and uh, other legislation. Uh, Medicare had actually already legislated that hospitals could only have so many beds per room because elective Medicare-covered uh, situations limited by the number of beds. We can't have these extra operations if we don't have beds for their recovery. So therefore, by forcing the hospitals to lower the number of beds per hospital based on square footage and room, they cut out a lot of the medical procedures that could be performed in a given year by a hospital, lowering the amount of payouts for Medicare. That's what happens when you go to socialized medicine. They begin to make rules that limit care. Now, Sweden actually began to increase that, but they did say for people over 80 with four organ failures and numerous morbidities that you would uh, limit resources and facilities if you are overwhelmed, there was no order to not treat elderly people. Now, the fact is, if you go all over the European Union, uh, I know this is a big problem in Holland. I know people in Holland. They said that if your your family members are in a traffic accident, you want to get down to the hospital right away because you don't want them to let them die. Because if the injuries are too extensive, they will just let them die. They'll put them on morphine and let them die. And you have to go in there and advocate for your family. That happens anywhere where you have socialized medicine. They, you know, Bernie Sanders isn't going to tell you that, but that is the way it works. 
So we've been talking about uh, this whole idea of if you ha- what do you do if you have a situation that doesn't operate by the state? You don't have socialized medicine. What do you do? Well, hospitals in America have been taking in poor people all the time. And as a matter of fact, the very first hospitals were all built by, not by government. They weren't not government hospitals. They were built by charity. That's when America was great. We built them by charity. We even built prisons by charity, believe it or not. I mean, there's a local prison here in this county, and the state is talking about closing it down. It's heated with geothermal. It's It costs less than most of the other prisons. It's not privately owned. It is state-run. But the land was donated. It was donated by local people to build the prison. That's hard to imagine. I mean, the school up north of me, I mean, uh, we're all homeschoolers, but there is a school in the valley, still in the county, but it's another valley over. It's about 30 miles away, 40 miles away. That They built that new school on land that was donated. The school to the south of me, they don't use it anymore, but it was built all by donated money. It wasn't don- it wasn't created by taxes, and the teacher lived with the different families that had ex- you know built extra rooms for the teacher to live in, and because it was a one room schoolhouse. That's the way we used to do it when America was great. You used to get flus and sicknesses, and people got over it, and society was stronger for it. You know, like during the Spanish flu, I said I'd mentioned that. Unfortunately, doctors treated many of the people with high doses of aspirin, which killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people who got the Spanish flu. The flu, they, they actually dug up people buried in the, that died of the Spanish flu, but buried in the tundra in Alaska. They So they've been frozen <laughs> in the ground. So they were able to dig them up and actually get samples and isolate the Spanish flu. So they have that. Hopefully they have that in better laboratories than in Wuhan so it doesn't get out again because we may not have immunity to it like we did. Although genetic memory of immunity could have passed down to us and many people probably wouldn't even get sick. Many of the things that contributed to the death rate of the Spanish flu is conditions, diet, and then, of course, doctors prescribing aspirin. <laughs> I mean, they're not talking like take two aspirin. They're talking like handfuls of aspirin. Aspirin was a patented medicine for a long time. The patent had just run out before the Spanish flu showed up. And now anybody could make aspirin pretty cheap. And so it was the cheapest form. And they were giving it to to people. And here's just one report. Therefore... By artificially lowering fever with aspirin, infection multiplied and spread to internal organs. Aspirin also thins the blood, causing the lungs to develop a dangerous buildup of fluid. Now we have a perfect medium for germ growth. Therefore, autopsies from 1918 flu or the Spanish flu victims did not reveal death from viral infection, but from wet and hemorrhagic lungs and pulmonary edema. The doctors were killing the people with bad medical practices. Now, I'm not picking on all doctors, but that's a reality, and doctors have to learn that. I remember early on in the COVID where doctors were saying, I think ventilators are a mistake. 
they actually were coming and say, I think ventilators are causing more problems than not. And we have lots and lots of reports, and I don't want to go into that because we won't get everything looked at. We probably won't get everything I have here looked at anyway. But we have to realize that doctors are not our salvation. <laughs> we got rid of the Spanish flu without anybody ever creating a vaccine. And most of the people that died from the Spanish flu died for other reasons. Again, diet, overcrowding, poor hygiene. I mean, people were still, uh, they, they they were using common toilets without flush toilets even at that time. This is 1918. You know, I know lots of parts of the country didn't get telephones for another 60 years. <laughs> so, the reality and diet was a terrible thing. And like I say, overcrowding, poor immune systems. And there were a lot of older people around that were close to death and had other morbidities. But treatment in the hospitals and by doctors actually made things worse. This aspirin thing is was a big problem. I mean, uh, Trump just mentioned that the, the this uh, flu probably ended. He said World War Two. We misspoke. World War One. I. I heard him other times say World War One. Uh, no big deal. But the reality was is that that's probably true because the Germans got it first. It didn't actually come from Spain. <laughs> The Germans had it first, and it was devastating the Germans. But, of course, these people are living in trenches with poor diets for long periods of time, cold, rain, wind. They were dying from all kinds of things anyway, and the flu just pushed people over the edge. Like I say, the studies have shown by testing the flu virus that it was not more virulent than almost any other flu. It was just the conditions were ripe for a pandemic. Today, actually, there are health departments saying that you cannot improve your immune system by diet. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, Hippocratic Oath, uh, Hippocrates himself was saying, let food be thy medicine. So, I mean, where are they getting this stuff? Now, as far as, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of countries that, you know, like Taiwan had seven deaths as of July 2020. And they have a population of 23 million people. By the same period of time, uh, Japan only had 850 deaths. Why isn't the news telling us this? Why isn't the news telling us what they did to treat the coronavirus? Instead, the Oregonian is saying there is no cure, there is no treatment. Those countries found a cure and a treatment. They're not having the same death rates. Now, there are multiple reasons why Taiwan is not having the same death rates, but they do have a different method of treatment, and some doctors in America found out about it. But the media is not generally telling you. You have to have a network of people outside of the media that is sharing information. We're we're, we're starting that. That's why we tell you to join the network. That's why Christ said sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's why we have a burning bush festival and like to have a lot of other festivals where people get together and share information. You can't share on Facebook because they will censor it. You know, there's a lot of developments in the area of vaccines. You know, like back in uh, 1976, actually, they learned that mixing uh, human Chorionic gonadotropin, <laughs> better known as beta HCG, in uh, tetanus toxoid, which is tetanus toxoid. Tetanus is a funny sort of vaccine in, in itself. 
when they refer to tetanus toxoid, that's another whole thing. There's there's only one other vaccine that I know of off my memory that uses the same type of process, but that's not a really a true vaccine. But anyway, it's it's dealing with another part of the immune system. But they they realized that if you mix that in that the and gave them multiple shots, like five different shots, six months apart, that you could sterilize a woman that she will not produce. They had trials with this back even in 1976. What they're actually doing is tricking the woman's immune system into attacking her own beta HCG, which is necessary. That's a hormone necessary for reproduction. So you're actually putting something in the body of a human to cause the body of the human to have an immune reaction that actually attacks the body of a human. The function that is necessary for the pregnancy of a woman. And you're literally sterilizing the woman. Now, they, this is a fact. Now, you know, this came up and there was lots of studies done about this and the possibility that 500 girls, 500,000 girls uh, were injected with a tetanus vaccine in uh, was it Nigeria. <laughs> I can't remember what country. An African country. I don't think it was Nigeria. Uh, I think it was Kenya. And uh, the, they said, it, yeah, there was beta HCG. They admitted the World Health Organization said that it was an accidental contamination. And then later on they said, well, they can't even test for it in that country, but they said they could, and so they. But nobody's arguing arguing the fact that. Uh, and one of the interesting, normally tetanus shots, you you give them a couple tetanus shots, maybe fairly close together, but they spread the shots that they were giving in Kenya out to five shots. With that same spread, that well, the studies showed that you needed to have in order to reduce the ability of these women to have children. And uh, anyways, there's there's people, you know, Snopes is going to poo-poo this, but they're basing it on some of the th- stuff that came out in limited res- resources. But it's come up again in, 19, uh, or in 2020. The fact is there have been peer-reviewed studies that say that this is actually the case, that that this actually did take place and has taken place again and uh so there is a concerted effort to lower the pregnancy of people in in the world there's actually a, an article that just recently came up vaccine boom population bust study queries the link between hpv vaccine and the soaring infertility and you know this these are, you know, in the Journal of Toxicology and Environmental Health uh, examine these things. And there's been studies and, and independent people have studied it. it this HPV, i got to remember all these uh, syllables. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, the, it's the HPV vaccine. And uh, in America, in the United Kingdom, France, Italy, Japan, Australia, now they're doing tests and they're finding that the uh, fertility rates... Uh, Amongst women who did not get the shot are 67%. Amongst the women who did get the shot, the fertility rates are 35%. Uh, 
Uh, in some places, it's as high as 75% in the women who did not get the shot and 25% in the women who did get the shot have uh, that as a fertility rate. That's huge difference. That's, that's a, you're, you're not coming back from that. Uh, and all because you got this human papilloma virus uh, vaccine. Uh, I remembered. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, the reality is, is that these are all peer-reviewed studies, and the doctors who were doing the studies were shocked. They're realizing this is exterminating. You know, like a, uh, one fellow said that what we what we are in danger of is population collapse, and who knows if this RNA vaccine is key to that this is a particular RNA vaccine 1273 it's an mRNA vaccine 1273 uh, that Moderna is putting out others are coming up there's over a hundred different companies that are coming up with different vaccines and uh, it it goes on there's another article that says these experimental COVID-19 vaccines take three strategies for ultimately delivering a piece of genetic code, either an mRNA or DNA, that tells cells to start making viral proteins. So it's actually getting your cells to replicate viral proteins so that your cells will then produce an immune reaction to those proteins and give you an immunity. Of course, nature does that all the time. You know, somebody once thought, well, wearing a mask, my my girls got sick, but they didn't get as sick because they were wearing a mask. They probably got sick because they were wearing a mask. You can't breathe in enough viruses to make you sick until your body replicates those viruses. Viruses are tiny little things. And you have billions, they're exosomes, and you have t- billions of exosomes in your body right now. They don't make you sick until your system malfunctions and produces something that it should not produce in a quantity that becomes toxic. Most people who get this virus produce a few of them and then they produce the antibodies and it destroys them because your body figures it out. When you're very old and you have all kinds of other morbidities and you're fighting to stay alive anyway, that can push you over the edge. Your cause of death is the fact that you were 92 years old. It wasn't that you got COVID. COVID was just what pushed you over that edge between life and death. And that happens every year to the tunes of tens of thousands, even millions of people die of old age. That's what we usually call it, old age, because of complications of old age. Their immune system is broke down. There's all kinds of things you can do to break down your immune system, such as take vaccines. That's true. Government study in the military showed that Military soldiers who got the flu vaccine were 35% more likely to get COVID or at least show the symptoms of COVID. If you breathe COVID on somebody, they got COVID. If their body doesn't do anything with it, you never know they had COVID. Because <laughs> they, they had it, but it didn't replicate in them, so they didn't get sick. If they replicate a little bit, they might get a running nose. They might get a headache. They might even get a fever. But if they get better in 24 hours or 48 hours, they may not even know they had the COVID. 
That's the way it works. That's called human immunity. But these guys are all human immunity deniers. They think that you cannot survive without them because they think that they are your salvation. They are not your salvation. So anyway, I read an article that's already coming out, one of these fact-checked articles, which is another one of these false fact-checked articles, that it talks about future vaccines against COVID-19 would genetically modify humans. That was the claim, and they're, they're going to say that that's false. I will eventually show you, probably won't get into it now, we'll have to do it in another program, where they, who are inventing the RNA vaccine and the DNA vaccines, say, yes, it can. But the fact checkers not going to tell you when they said that or where they said that. They're going to say that, though, it cannot genetically modify humans. They're saying that that's, that statement is false. And they're actually not going to tell you that that statement is false. They're going to say that that claim is false, but they're going to put it into context. This is, I'm only doing this to kind of show you the rationale and reasoning and how they, or the lack thereof of rationale and reasoning. And they mentioned Kaufman, who I mentioned in one of our previous programs, who should get together with us because we can show him a lot of stuff about what he's headed towards. <laughs> but anyway, COVID-19 vaccine would provide a vessel to inject genes into humans. RNA vaccines are in injecting genes. You just heard Bill Gates say it when I was reading Bill Gates's. That's what it does. It injects genes into you. It doesn't try to inject the genes directly into the cell. Doesn't mean that they can't get into the cell because they're going to produce an antigen that uh that may have the capacity to get into the cell because what did they say? They're going to get your system to make the antigen. And then, then your system will now make the antibodies to fight that antigen that you just tricked your body into producing. <laughs> so <laughs> they're creating a war in you with the vaccine instead of allowing nature to take its course. And they're keeping you from the very things. They're telling you there is no other cure but what we give you. When we know there is other cures, other things that can promote good health. And they're not going to tell you about that. Because they want to create fear. Because that's how they cow the people. That's how they herd you about. That's how they control you. And people like Gates have come out many times and say he wants to reduce the Earth's population. He, he, his, his parents, his father worked for Planned Parenthood, wanted to reduce the population. They've been advocates of that for generations, and they haven't changed. And so, what's really going on? But what's your real defense? Before we get too far into this, Kaufman's kind of seeing that defense, but he doesn't have some of the knowledge that we could share with him for free. Um, but the reality is, is this, this same thing, it's worse now, but the same thing was going on in the days of the early church. And sitting down in the tens, hundreds of thousands in intentional communities that actually start learning what it means to practice pure religion, take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence will change your spiritual status. It will change your spiritual thinking. 
in that pursuit, you will be changed. You will be born again in another way of thinking, which is what we should have been thinking all the time. And it will also create spiritual bonds that will manifest themselves into physical bonds that will set you free. And so, anyway, we're going to have to look at the rest of this in the afternoon show, which is going to be really hard for me to get back to in time. But uh, we're going to show you what some of the real solutions are and what some of the real dangers are and what's going on behind the scenes next time on Keys to the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.